Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Make Work Human podcast. I'm Larissa Haynes. And I'm Jen Baggett. And together, we are exploring what it takes to make work human. So, hey, everybody. Welcome. I am super excited to have my good friend Israel Green on today. Um, He and I actually met in the comments section on LinkedIn. Um, I won't name the name, but someone had posted something about diversity um, and and handling it poorly, quite frankly. And she was very proud of how she was handling it. And he just posted this really eloquent, like great question about like just poking holes a little bit to ask her. And I was like, oh, he knows what's up. I need to know this guy. So yeah, I just love what you do in the world. Love the way that you do it. And um, we're so glad to have you on the show. So why don't you tell all of our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Um, Thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, My name is Israel Green. Uh, Friends call me Iz, so you all can call me Iz. Um, I am a certified coach, executive, and uh, founder and owner of Green Consulting Group. And we are a boutique consulting firm specializing in diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy or sometimes we'll call it intervention, depending on where the organization is and what they're experiencing and going through. Um, And then we also do leadership development as well with that. Our focus is heavily in the um, tech space. So we deal a lot with tech companies that are, you know, changing the engine mid-flight and trying to make changes and drive innovation. So we help them out quite a bit. Such cool work. I love, let's like, all the stuff that I love like to talk about and to do. So I'm so excited that you're with us today. There's a lot of talking about it right now, for sure. For sure. For sure. So I would love to know what does make work human mean to you? Yeah. I mean, this is right in line with, with the work that we do. And for me, make work human is all about, allowing people to show up and be who they are and not have to be self-conscious about who they are um, and be able to just present them their full selves when they're at work and get the most out of them. And there's a a level of responsibility and onus that is on the owner of the company or the leadership of an organization that should be an ally in this process. So it's about allowing people to show up, be who they are, and embracing that to get the most out of them and allow them to feel better about themselves. So good. Oh, you're speaking our language. <laughs> oh, that's exactly why Jen and I started this podcast. Like right there is, is to help people understand how to be more of themselves, help leaders understand how to lead in that way. So right on. Um, what, like, where did you come up with that? Like where in your career or in your life did the, the idea of that's what making work human was for you? For me, I think it was probably about sitting at the table and not seeing people that resembled me um, or coming from a situation where I was constantly running from something and getting to a point to where I was running to something. And what I mean by that is so often we show up in an area or a place where we're not represented we're not wanted and we're not made to feel included. So this work drives that behavior um, and the intention behind that. So it was really about, as I started moving up the chain in different organizations and seeing people that didn't look like me and only being included when it was a benefit for that individual 
to close a deal or a benefit for the company um, to show a face. So I was that that token, so to speak. Um, and that's a horrible feeling to be in that situation um, and not be empowered in any other scenario except when it's a benefit for them. Thank you for bringing that forward. Um, yeah, that's a that's a tough conversation to have openly sometimes. Um, so I appreciate you having it with us today because I, I think it's more prevalent than some people want to admit. Um, I think it gets done in what people think is a, a benign way without understanding that it really isn't. Absolutely. And one of the challenges is whenever companies and leaders specifically are dealing with this topic, no one, no one wants to be in a situation where they're calling the baby ugly. Um, and we have to get to that point where we are like, hey, we have an issue here. We have a problem. Let's fix this. Let's solve it. Let's put all of our heads together and, and drive this thing forward um, for the betterment of everyone in our organization to make work human, you know? Yeah. I love what you're saying. Um, and just coming from my own background, I, I remember sitting in an organization and I was, I was doing talent management. I was doing a state of talent and we were looking at the makeup of the leadership team. And there were some shocking statistics that the senior leaders of that organization were all, uh, all male and all white above a certain level. And I can remember sitting there and having this conversation with my boss. And I, you know, I was like, a frontline manager. So it wasn't up the chain or anything. And she saw the need to do something about it. But when I took it up the chain, it was, it was like, they were like, you're telling me the baby, that's not correct. There's no way that's right. There's no way that this, that's what's happening. We're not ready for this. So how do you start to broach this subject? Because there's a lot of resistance to this, even though we know what's need to happen. There's just so much like blindness to it, I think. There is a great deal of resistance to it. And this this topic is so vast. I mean, if you dive into it and you take it as industry standards, basically there are 266 benchmarks across 14 categories and five different areas for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So you throw that at someone, they're like, oh, Jesus, I can't do that. So you have to break it down and put a system in place for it. And I, I kind of start off like, okay, if you're building a house, you have to have the foundational elements, you know, that you need a floor, you need walls and you need a roof. Now each company and each house is different based off of what they need from there. But the very first piece is starting with awareness. Um, so I come in with an approach and with a systematic process to put in in a framework that they can operate within. This is okay. Hey, very first thing is awareness. Let's figure out where we are according to best practice. Are we inactive or are we operating at that highest level? And from there, data, you know, details breed credibility. So once we have the data, I can very, to your point, Jen, I can go back to them and say, hey, you don't think this is happening. However, here's the data. Yes, it is. Um, and then from there, we take incremental approaches. And once you start doing that, it's, it's kind of like eating an elephant. It's not all one bite at a time, but it's bite by bite. And they're able to digest it a little bit more. Kind of like everything, but <laughs> at the same time, when you're presenting something that A, is overwhelming and B, emotional, right? Um, the two together combine into this complexity that 
intensifies that resistance. So what a great idea to just break it down to the simplest things and start where you are. Um, and I know you and I have had conversations too, where you bring in a lot of like a, a lot of history, not a lot of fat. Like you bring in the idea of like, Hey, this is just what happened. There's no judgment here. This is, this is just what happened in the past to begin to help people understand where did this come from? Right. Um, and Larissa, I think for me, that's that's a unique approach that I try to use that allows me to be able to connect with everyone in the organization to say, hey, look, I'm not here to bash you over the head and say that America's racist. I'm not here to convince you that you should be doing X, Y, Z. I'm here to show you some details and some facts and hopefully move your level of cultural competence from one side of that model of intercultural sensitivity to the other side that is awareness and awakening and then say, okay, it makes people say, okay, so what, what, what they get excited about? Well, what can I do? How can I change this? And, you know, Jen, back to your point, just as each company has a different level of competence or each person does, you know, we have a different level of cultural competence. Each company does as well. So I try to assess where they are. Um, and a, a good example is some companies will be operating off of the compliance model, which is the old model of, hey, affirmative action. Um, we need to hire this many pe black people, this many Asian, you know, Asian, this many women. Um, and then it goes to a social justice model, which is more about tokenism. And this is more along the lines of, hey, you know what? We believe this is the right thing to do. So let, let's go ahead and do it. And this is where a lot of companies are stuck now because what happens is this is sparked by something environmentally. So George Floyd protest, what's taking place right now, the um, disparity in terms of how people are treated when they're being arrested or at these protests or riots or rallies or however you want to frame them. Um, and then it goes to a diversity model and then an inclusive business model, which is where we're trying to get all of these companies to. So cool. One other thing too that I, I, in talking with you, I see as one of your your strengths is the way that you approach the conversations with people. And I've heard you say, as long as there's positive intent, you can say whatever you want in this room. So it yep. takes away the need for that, you know, PC and saying the right thing, and you know, like, hey, let's just like call the crap in the room. <laughs> like, let's just bring it out here. And as long as you're coming from the intent to learn or the positive intent to like understand a little bit more than you did when you walked in, say whatever you need to say to get there. And I think that's a really unique approach to it as well. It's a very human approach to it. Yes, absolutely. And I think a lot of leaders are afraid to talk about race, and what happens is they just avoid it totally. And having someone like myself or another consultant coming in that can help guide these conversations and steer them in a way that says, hey, we're all human in the room. We all want to learn. So I start every single one of these programs out with a big sign that says politically correct. And I rip it up in front of them and say, we're throwing this out the window. Because oftentimes the things that aren't said are more important than the things that are. And that's where we need to get them to a point of being able to express themselves freely without judgment and knowing the person on the opposite side of the room was thinking, okay, I see how you could feel this way. And I know what your intentions are and where you are right now. And it's coming from a place of wanting to learn and wanting to understand. I love that. The, the things sometimes it's more important, the things that aren't said than the things yeah. that are. That's 
really, really powerful. And I think that's, that's the thing. I think people are afraid sometimes to talk about this stuff. It's a scary topic. It, yeah. it really is. And there's such a stigma associated with it, but what we don't realize are the many benefits that, that come from implementing programs around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what that does from a, a mental health state for your employees and an inclusion state. I mean, there are so many things that I can run through where companies, if you just tapped into it a bit, you would see that that marker move and know, okay, hey, we've got something here. Let's build on that. I love that. And, and you said at the beginning too, like there's like something like 260 markers or something like that for diversity. And I think that that's the thing that people, when we start to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, they think it's, it's race and gender and maybe a little bit of like sexual orientation, like mixed in there a little bit, but that's not all there. There's, there's so much more to diversity than that. There's just, you know, diversity of thought even is, you know, something that if you could just tap into some of that, Man. It's because we run into a situation where if you treat this like it's a patient in a hospital, we will address the, per- the piece that's bleeding the most. So we have to make sure that we go operate on that portion. So right now it is a race issue. Um, you know, two years ago, it was an issue around um, discrimination practices against women and the Me Too movement. So everything moves to where what's the squeaky wheel gets the oil, for example. Um, And it's a shame because it would be so nice to be able to address this from a holistic point of view. But there is a reality. um, There's a quote that's attributed to um, John F. Kennedy, um, and he did not come up with this quote, but it's a rising tide lifts all ships. And people don't realize that there's so much intersectionality between all of these things that if one demographic rises, we all rise. If we help, you know, women in business to get to these leadership roles, we all rise. And that's the part that we have to get our head around and our hands around and be able to effectively communicate that and make sure that we're all on the same page moving forward. I literally just like buzzed out of my chair because intersectionality is like one of my most favorite topics and one that um, doesn't get discussed often at all. So, well, yeah, you are up to some great work in the world. Um, What's one thing that you would share with everybody of like how you're bringing this idea of making work human and, and making bringing humanity to work is really kind of what we're talking about here today. What's one thing you would share with people on how to do that and how you're doing that? Making sure that we are aware of of who we are and our own authenticity. Um, we each have something special and unique within ourselves. And to be able to tap into that and figure out how to leverage that for yourself to grow and then for the betterment of those around you to grow. And we, we I call it social leadership. We have a responsibility to take that out into the world um, and, you know, both the community and in the workplace. So to be able to just focus down and and drill in on, okay, what is my, what is my superpower, so to speak? Um, And then drilling down that and making sure that you display that every opportunity you can. Love that. It's so good. (laughs) That's yes. Yes. (laughs) So Israel, um, such, I mean, I'm sure I could talk to you about this stuff for hours and hours, but I want to make sure people can find you um, and, and can reach out to you. So what's the best way for someone to contact you um, if they want to talk about 
bringing you into their business or or having conversations like this with you further? Uh, the quickest way is my website, which is www.israelgreen.com, spelled just like my name on the screen. Or you can email me directly at info at israelgreen.com, and that'll get right to me and um, we can have a conversation. And we'll be sure to put both of those in the description for the podcast. So wherever you're listening to this, go ahead and check out the description and find him there. All right. Well, once again, we love you guys joining us um, and these conversations. We're so excited for 2021. Jen and I really are looking forward to having more of these conversations. So if you are looking to be a guest, you think that sounds like a fun idea, head over to our website, www.makeworkhumanpod.com. There's a little form there. Fill that out and we'll get back to you. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe. Um, join us next time when we keep exploring what it means to make work human. 